Today's reading is 1 Peter 1, 3-9. It can be found on page 1122 of the Bible's next year's seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may, have to su- you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord. Now we're going to start, um, my message is going to start with a video. And I, because we had some other technical difficulties right when the service was starting, we didn't test it out. So just be flexible today, okay? We're all cool. We like high quality of things working, but sometimes we don't know if they're going to work well. But just wanted to give you guys back there in the audio, at the audio table a, a note to make sure the audio from the computer is going into the system for that video. And so I'll give you a second. I'm going to open us with prayer. Let us pray. Our God of grace, as we come into this room this morning, it's a lovely and beautiful day outside, and that may in fact reflect what's going on in our lives. We may have had the experience lately that you have seemed to be shining on us, your face smiling upon our lives in what has happened. And yet others of us sit here, and that's not been the case. It's been a period of darkness. There's been trouble. Maybe there's been things going on that are just very difficult and stressful. And sometimes those difficult and stressful things, we don't even know how to interpret them. They just leave us confused. Some of us come this morning with burning intellectual questions about you, about the Bible and whether we can believe in it, about um, suffering in our world and how you allow it. We have burning questions about what we want for ourselves in our own lives and what maybe we've learned from the Bible contradicts that. We have frustrations, we have guilt, we have excitement and joy and happiness. We are just a mixture of emotions and experiences and moods this morning. We sit here now and we're listening to some words. We're going to listen to things from the book of 1 Peter. And as we do so, may we find ourselves all in the same boat, that even though we're, are, we have very different experiences this week, that we're all more of a mess than we care to admit. And yet your scriptures tell us that in Christ we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. And we don't earn that. We don't walk into here and have the promise that someday we might be loved by you. It is already true. So God, whether we've been running away from your love or running away from admitting our mess, both things now we hope will confront us. That in our brokenness, we meet your great love and grace. That by looking at the cracks in our lives, finally, they may be filled 
with the ever-present flood of grace that is offered to us by your Son, Jesus. Speak to us through that grace now in such a way that our lives might be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to have a series on the book of First Peter, and this is our first message on it. And so there's a video that we're going to watch, and we're, we're hoping that it works. And we might show it more than once, or we might show parts of it, but today for sure we're just going to show the whole, whole thing. So I'm going to talk for less amount of time, so don't worry. But the video is going to be, I think it's about six minutes. So that, that will feel maybe kind of long, except that the video is like pretty quick paced and you'll just be grabbed by it. And it's an, basically an overview of the book of First Peter. So this is a little more kind of teaching and just getting, putting your thinking cap on about what a whole book of the Bible or a letter of the New Testament looks like and how to kind of find ourselves within that over the next few weeks. So let's give this a try. Do you think we're ready? Okay, we're going to try it. It really was just one minute. And he was part of the inner circle of the 12 disciples. When he made his confession that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus changed his name to Kephos, which is Aramaic for rock, which was later translated into Greek as Petros or Peter. Jesus promised that he would become a leader among the apostles to guide the Messianic community in Jerusalem through its earliest years. And that's what happened. Remember the early chapters of the book of Acts. Eventually, Peter was called to carry the good news of Jesus beyond the borders of Israel, however, and this letter was written decades into that mission in the wider Roman world. We discover at the conclusion of this letter that Peter is in Rome, which he calls Babylon, and we learn that while Peter commissioned the letter, it was actually composed by a man named Silvanus, who was a co-worker of Peter. This was a circular letter sent to multiple church communities in the Roman province of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And Peter learned that these mostly non-Jewish Christians were persecuted. They were facing hostility and harassment from their Greek and Roman neighbors. And so Peter wrote to encourage them in the midst of their suffering. And this helps explain the letter's design and its main themes. It opens with a greeting, and then it moves into a poetic song of praise to God, which introduces the key themes that are explored in the main body of the letter, where he first affirms the new family identity of these persecuted Christians which will help them see their suffering as a way to bear witness to Jesus. And this has a way of focusing their future hopes on the return of Jesus. Let's dive in. Let's see how all the pieces work together. So Peter opens by greeting these churches as the chosen people of God who are exiled around the world. Now Peter makes clear throughout the letter that these Christians he's writing to are Gentiles. But here he describes them with phrases from the Old Testament that describe how God chose the people of Israel, the family of Abraham, who was himself an exile and wanderer. This is the key strategy that Peter repeats through the whole letter. He wants these suffering non-Jewish Christians to see that through Jesus, they now belong to the family of Abraham. And so they're wandering exiles just like him, misunderstood, they're mistreated, and they're looking for their true home in the promised land. Peter continues this idea in the opening song. He praises God for causing people to be born again into a living hope through Jesus' resurrection and the power of the Spirit. God's inviting all people into a new family centered around Jesus, a family that has a new identity as God's beloved children and who have a new hope of a world reborn by God's love when Jesus returns as King. And for people who have this hope, suffering and persecution is actually a strange gift because it burns away false hopes and distractions like the of the letter, but he's going to explore all of these ideas in greater depth. 
So he first develops the theme about the new family identity of God's people. He takes even more memorable Old Testament images about the family of Israel, and then he applies them to these Gentile Christians. So like the Israelites who left Egypt, they too are to gird up their loins and leave behind their former way of life on the way to a new future. So they are the holy people of God now who are journeying through the wilderness. They are the people of the new exodus who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus who's the ultimate Passover lamb. They are the people of the new covenant who have God's word buried deep inside them, restoring their hearts and renewing their minds. They are the new temple built on the foundation of Jesus himself. And they're the new kingdom of priests who are serving God as his representatives to now, by applying all of these amazing images to these persecuted Gentile Christians, Peter is placing their suffering within a brand new story. And this leads into the next section. Their persecution can actually help bring clarity to their mission in the world, to bear witness to God's mercy among the nations. So Peter first encourages them to submit to Roman rule, even if it's oppressive. Yes, he acknowledges, their persecution, their suffering is unjust. But violent resistance solves nothing, not to mention that it betrays the teachings of Jesus who loved his enemies instead of killing them. Peter then specifically highlights the very difficult situation that Christian slaves and wives face when they lived in Roman households where the patriarch did not follow Jesus. The problem was that it was expected that everyone in the household would submit to and worship the patriarch's God. And so Peter's aware that giving allegiance to Jesus will generate suspicion. So Peter says, it's true, all Christians, including Roman wives and slaves, have been fully liberated by Jesus. But they are to demonstrate that freedom, not through rebellion, but by resisting evil the same way Jesus did, through showing love and generosity to your enemies. And in homes where the husband is also a Christian, it's a different story. They are to treat their wives totally different from their Roman neighbors, regarding them as equals before God who are worthy of honor and and Peter's hopeful that this imitation of Jesus' love and upside-down kingdom will give power to their words as they bear witness to God's mercy and show people the beautiful truth about the way of Jesus. But Peter's also a realist. He knows that Christians will continue to be persecuted, and so he reminds them of their future vindication. He recalls how Jesus himself was unfairly persecuted and murdered by corrupt human powers, but in reality, he was dying for the sins of his enemies. And afterward, he was vindicated and given resurrection life by the Spirit. And now Jesus is exalted as king over all human and spiritual powers. Then Peter shows how baptism points to the vindication of Jesus' followers. So like Noah, they've been saved through the waters, not as a magic ritual, but as a sacred symbol that shows their change of heart, their desire to be joined to Jesus in his death and his resurrection. And so now, even if they are murdered for following Jesus, their hope is in future vindication and exaltation alongside their king. Which leads Peter to the final movement. He recalls Jesus' words that his disciples should consider it an honor and joy to be persecuted just like he was. Peter then calls on church leaders to care for these suffering Christians and to show the same kind of servant leadership that Jesus did to his followers. And finally, Peter reminds these Christians about the real enemy that they are facing. This hostility isn't simply cultural or even political. There are dark forces of spiritual evil at work inspiring hatred and violence. And they are to resist this evil by staying faithful to Jesus and his teachings and by anticipating his return and ultimate victory over such evil. Peter concludes with a prayer for divine strength. And he sends a greeting from the church in Rome, which he calls Babylon. 
Now this is cool. Peter's adopting here the tradition of the Old Testament prophets for whom the name Babylon became an archetype for any and every corrupt nation. And so Rome has become the new Babylon, and its empire is where God's people are now exiled from their true home in the renewed creation. Peter's first letter is a powerful reminder of Christian hope in the midst of suffering. God's people have been a misunderstood minority from the very beginning, and they should expect to face hostility because they've chosen to live under the rule of a different king, Jesus. However, persecution can become a strange gift to the church because it offers a chance to show others the surprising generosity and love of Jesus, which is fueled by the hope of his return. And that's what First Peter is all about. All right. Can, uh... Make sure it doesn't skip to the next random video. Cancel, cancel, cancel. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember? Um, okay, well, let me just give you a phrase to try to remember for today's message. It goes like this No threat, can you say that? No threat. Can take. My treasure. No threat can take my treasure. We start at the, the first little part. He called it the song, the opening song of this um, book of First Peter. No threat can take my treasure. Do you remember um, if you read uh, the Harry Potter books? Do you remember how suddenly he realizes that... Um, that he, at the very beginning, I'm not really giving anything away because it happens real, real early in the beginning, he realizes he has this, basically this account at Gringotts, the bank, uh, the wizarding bank, and he just, you know, this, this main character, you know, has this, like this wealth, this inheritance or treasure, whatever you want to call it, he has at his disposal all this ability to buy things and to get things, he actually has all this to his name, and it's in this protected bank the wizarding bank called Gringotts. There's just, it's locked up. Nobody can get at it. It's his. When we, one of the first things to understand about what Peter is saying to these Christians who are being persecuted is that that's an image for what we have because of the resurrected Jesus. That, and, and that if that's true in your life, you sh it, it'll, you'll live totally differently if you know that you just always have this thing banked up that's yours, that's fine, that's protected, that no threats can take away. Um, I was reading an article uh, randomly. It just was this thing, you know, this thing you click on because it looks like really intriguing. And it was about, it was an article written by somebody who described himself as a trust fund baby. And I had never really read or thought much about this concept of people who are just kind of at a young age come into just an, an plenty of money for everything, just, just endless money in their account, and they start from scratch with this. And this person was giving advice to other people who might, if they find themselves in this, you know, how to handle this in the best possible way. You definitely live differently if you know you have, like, a treasure at your disposal that's not going to go away, that there's just, it's just always going to be there. Your whole life kind of shift, would shift if that's true. That's an image for us as sort of God's trust fund babies. And so let's, let me just read what it says in 1 Peter, what was already read, and just emphasize here. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. 
new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never spoil, perish, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice. And as you go a little further, verse 7, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, will be proved genuine and may result in praise. Now, there's this inheritance, and as this text is giving us a glimpse of it, it's not something that is just, it says it's kept in heaven for you. That's a way of saying it's, not, that's a way of saying to these persecuted Christians that nothing that happens in this realm is going to touch it because it's, it's kind of like held and protected in heaven. It's always there. But it's not heaven. That's not the reward. That's not the treasure. It's easy for American Christians, with where we're at in the flow of Christian history, to, to imagine the reward that you have as a Christian is being with Jesus in heaven someday. And although being with Jesus in heaven someday is, is something in the Bible that is true, it is not, it's not actually what is being driven home to these Christians in their world. And often in the Bible, it's not the thing that, that is the comfort there's all this talk about they already have joy, that they have this faith that's of greater worth than gold. So there's something, it's, it's kept by God and protected, but it's accessible. So what you have as a Christian through Jesus' death and resurrection is a relationship with God that is your treasure. And that's accessible. That's already true. It's changed you. You are now God's trust fund baby. You've been born into this wealthy inheritance. And the inheritance, the treasure, is your relationship with God, which is at work now. And so there's all these talks of rejoicing and being joyful of these Christians as they're being persecuted and they're suffering. Their experience, they're not like someday, this is horrible and we're crying now, but someday we'll be joyful because we'll be in heaven someday. They are accessing the treasure now, and that's part of what Paul's try, or Peter is trying to get them to do. So the Bible, um, you know, the Bible's often talking about ways to get us to understand this. One of them is adoption. Adoption, it's like our relationship with God is like you're unnaturally brought into a family and then you're actually written into the will. You're, you are that family now. You've been adopted. It's legally stamped through Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. New life is yours. You've been born again into this treasure. So that's what we have. Um, that's our new birth. We talked about the question of the week last week was, I was born dot, 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 and people answered, I was born in Roseville. Someone else said, I was born because my mother refused to have an abortion even though she was only 17 and unmarried. She and my father married because of the pregnancy. Someone else said, I was born helpless very early, two and a half months premature. Someone else said, I was born, now look, I'm just reading this, so don't, okay, I'm just the reader of this. I was born uncircumcised, now I am not. Just, I'm just reading them. Okay, so somebody wrote that. But, it, but like the things, other than that last one, those th the things that, we're, that, that are connected to our birth, often kind of, they 
create a thread in our life. A lot of times something about us is spoken to through something that we would say, I was born you know, this, I was born that. You know? And so that's our new birth is like that. There's this new identity and thread that now is who you are through the resurrection. So I don't know if you've ever seen the, one of these movies. Um, I actually tried and asked a few people this week if, I could, if we could find an example of them, and I couldn't remember any specific example of this. I just feel like I've seen five or six movies that have the same exact thing in it, where there's a treasure, there's an item in a museum or something, and there's the, the guys, the tricky bad guys who are going to steal it, and something, or maybe a briefcase full of cash that has to be exchanged, and it's all very tense and important, and there's, there's laser things going that you have to you know, get under and through to get to the treasure. And all this is happening, and then somehow, after the heist is successful, then the bad guys open up the briefcase or look at the thing, and they realize it's a counterfeit. Have you seen, these, you've seen this thread? It's so cool, and it's great, because you think the movie's going one way, and all of a sudden, somebody was smarter than the bad guys, and they switched the thing, and they actually didn't steal the, the real thing, the real treasure. They stole a counterfeit treasure. So let's talk about counterfeit treasures for a second, and let's talk about the threats that might steal your real treasure. In life, the bad news is, in life, some threat will always be on the horizon threatening various treasures in your life. I know, it's a real uplifting post-Easter <laughs> message. Things that are important to you, things that are sometimes good, like good things, that are, that are not bad to care about. They, some threat, whether it's just circumstances or whether it's an, an enemy of someone against you, things are, things are taken that are good, that, are, that are, we've set a lot of value in, threats. And in this first century church, as was just described through that great overview, as they're in Asia Minor, they're undergoing this persecution, and they're losing all kinds of things. They're losing things in the social sphere. They're losing things in terms of their money. They're losing things in terms of their jobs, in terms of their security. Some of them are losing their lives, all because of their faith. And so it brings up this issue of, What's your treasure? And our, our losses and circumstances as they threaten treasure after treasure in our life, our faith is tested and strengthened because we have to ask ourselves in the, in the crucible of that, of threats coming, we ask ourselves, what is my treasure? What is my essential, ultimate life? Where am I putting everything? You know, what's bearing the weight and the burden of my life? What's my treasure? And if you basically, if you go down the line, just about every single thing that we could put our hopes in, that we could put our satisfaction in, that we could put our future in, basically everything, you just go down the line, and everything, as the scripture passage says, um, about the, the inheritance that it talks about. It says it can never perish, spoil, or fade. Basically, almost everything you put your hopes in can perish, spoil, or fade. You think about your comfort. You think about your health. You think about your romantic relationship or a marriage. You think about your children's success and future. You think about your retirement. 
and your financial stability. You think about your career. You think about family. And in every one of those realms, circumstances, enemies, threats can come. And, and it's, if, if you just talk to people around here and got under the surface of the lives in this room, you would find story after story after story of this being true. And so it brings up the question, you know, I, you know, basically asks us to take inventory of our treasure, to do an audit, to do an audit, and to assess our treasure. What is your treasure? And I think especially in our, in our culture today, we live in a fairly comfortable, affluent culture in a time in history, in a place in history, where we have lots of things that we can pursue and the world tells us to pursue and they're not bad things but we anchor our lives our lives amidst them and being a christian begin is is this constant checking of what is my treasure so that if a threat comes so back to the heist analogy the threat comes to grab the briefcase or grab that you know that special thing on in the middle of the museum that's worth so much and it's at the center of our life and as the threat comes to take it and goes off that in your life, actually, a switch has been made, right? The, the swap has been, you know, like that cup in Indiana Jones. You know, the switch has been made in your own heart. And it's not like just a one-time thing. It's a over and over in the life of the Christian to kind of check again, what's at the center of my life? And doing that swap with the real treasure that's held and protected, and no one can get to it. It's no threat can take it away if your life is anchored in the grace of God. So let me just talk about how you, how you get that treasure, how you do that swap that I just showed you, graphical, very good illustration, right? I mean, this just tells it all, this switch. But, I mean, but if we try to put some words to that, how do you do like an audit? How do you, how do you get this treasure to be your treasure? Just really briefly. Um, I wonder if we just think about it like, continue the treasure analogy, if we think about it like supply and demand. Think about like economics of treasure, supply and demand. On the one hand, if you look at demand in our life, we are constantly, um, marvelously really, in fantastic ways, showing that our lives are in great demand of something more. We are amazing at proving to ourselves, and if we're honest, to others around us, that we, that our bank account is, is low, that our balance maybe is even in the negative, that we're in overdraft land with our treasure. We're really, really consistent at, if we'll look at ourselves, at there being a demand for a treasure in our life. And even you can do, you can do a mental uh, spreadsheet, whether you put it in an actual spreadsheet or whether you journal it out on paper or whether you, however you might draw up, just all the things that are important to you in life <laughs> and kind of just make notations about now what, how secure is that? What true, lasting, lifelong, eternal joy does each of those things potentially give? And you do a, an audit this way, an inventory, Basically, what I'm saying is, at some point, you have to look, dig deep, and see an, an emptiness that needs to be filled by a treasure. That there is a great demand in your heart 
So one way to like to access this treasure and to bring this treasure in is just to look inward, but the other way is to, and maybe both of these have to work in tandem, is to, is to look upon the supply that comes from God. So you have your supply and demand. Look, thinking about supply on the supply end, to be astonished in, in awe of the lavishness explained in the Bible of God's love for you and God's grace for you and God's acceptance and validation of you in, in his presence. And the idea that he entered in, the God and the maker of this universe, of this, you know, universe, not just the galaxy, universe. This God decided that he wanted to call us home so badly that he entered into this planet, into a particular place as Jesus. And he went, underwent, he didn't just say, look, I'm God, everyone bow down and come home. He actually entered into the suffering because we were so broken and it would have crushed us if we, had to, and if we had to pay sort of the price for our brokenness. And he enters in so that we can get called home. So that the treasure that we deserve gets put on him, the negative balance, gets put on him and it crushes his son so that we can get that treasure stored up for us that really belongs only to God and he lets us in. He gives us a key to the safe deposit box that was really only belongs to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So isn't that kind of astonishing to imagine that? That's the, that's the supply, the great supply of what you have in your treasure. The rest of it's really up to the Holy Spirit in terms of if you want this, if you want this gift, if you want this treasure to be at the center of your life, it, um, keep hanging around the treasure, keep asking questions, keep praying, keep asking, but in many ways only God can wake us up to how this treasure is so much better than the phony baloney stuff that we anchor our lives on. Or the stuff that's good, but that just if our heart is only rooted in these, these good things in our lives, eventually we're going to realize that we fall short and that we're still in great need. So um, I'll close with just referring back to the Harry Potter analogy because really not only is the Gringotts bank account like a great analogy for our treasure that we have, but if you think about it, Harry Potter is, and at the very beginning of that first book, he's actually, he's a great metaphor for becoming a Christian in a way because he's in the change in the identity shift that happens because he's just sitting there bumping along I don't remember all the specifics, but he's living with his aunt and uncle, and he thinks all the people who would know him are dead. So he thinks nobody knows who he is. He's a nobody. He thinks he has nothing to his name. And day in and day out, he, he just lives amidst you know, this kind of negative, negativity and negative identity. And all of a sudden, one day, he just kind of wakes up to the, like the events around him just kind of like make him realize not only does he have... Um, not only does he, does he have this kind of path ahead of him and this purpose of like this chosen one, but this entire section of the world that he didn't even know existed knows his name and he's like, he's like you know, a big deal. He's like a celebrity. And then, and then he finds out he's got this huge giant bank account with all this stuff in it. That's a lot like all of those things together, that, ident that sudden realization of a shift that was just always there, always true. And God just somehow wakes us up to it. Sometimes we've woken up to it like for the first time. And sometimes we just need a series of times throughout our lives where we kind of 
you know, like smelling salts. Like, wake up to it because we're kind of slumbering about it. We're not seeing it. Just wake up to it. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. What? That's what it means to be a Christian. Let's, let's bow our heads and pray a second as we close. Our God of grace, we pray that you continue the wakening up of your children unnaturally born into a family of great grace. And we pray, God, that we, as that family of grace, may continue to have the open door to every single person that you wake up and bring in here. Anyone who's considering or thinking that they might be waking up, may you continue to work powerfully to bring your children home, to help us to know who we are and the great treasure we have, and to start living with all the things you've given us, to start living as if it's true that we do, in fact, have a great treasure in store. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.